This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning. That was solid. That was a solid good morning from you guys. I'm so glad I didn't have to rebuke you today because, you know, sometimes I do. But I get it. We all have funky Sunday mornings, even me sometimes. But it's good to see you. I'm blessed to be here. I'm super blessed to be here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today as we make our way through Ecclesiastes. Um, I've been super blessed through this study, even though it can be a little bit more of a difficult portion of Scripture to go through. I've been super blessed and encouraged in the things that the Lord is bringing to the surface and addressing in our hearts and our lives. One thing that I wanted to, um, two things that I wanted to kind of throw out there before we get into the study. Number one, um, I'm super excited about this Bible college thing that we're going to be doing. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's a two-year program that goes through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So I know that we do that already in, this, in our services, but this is going to be something that um, is, is a little bit more in-depth and interactive. So again, like Grace said, if you're interested, put, put your name on the, on the interest sheet out there, and we'll be getting some more information to you about that soon. And then the other thing, a little bit more somber note, um, I just wanted to throw out there that, that we're looking at, it's right before the anniversary of last year's tragedy, October 1st. And I just want to bring it up because I want to remind ourselves that we may have opportunity to minister or talk to somebody about the Lord, the good news in a way that we, we may not have had a week ago, you know, because people are feeling it, people are sensitive to it, and people are a little bit more willing to talk about it. So instead of talking about the, the politics involved and the rhetoric and all the stuff that can come up with that conversation, I just wanted to kind of push us in the direction of, of approaching it in in. In a, in a way of love and compassion and understanding, and that, that we as a church, in responding to evil, because evil things are going to happen because some people are evil, our response as a church to the evil things that happen in the world is that we are instructed in the Word to overcome evil with good. Good job, church. Overcome evil with good. And the good part of good is the good news of Jesus Christ. Even in tragedy and difficult circumstances. So, everybody got your Bibles? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the title of today's message is The Problem with People. How many of you guys like people? A couple hands. How many people dislike people? Dislike. There should be more hands. People are hard, man. I tell, I tell this, and sorry if it's redundant, if you've been here for a while. Um, it's, a, it's a corny joke, but this is what I like to say. I love my job. Thank you. He laughed before I even said it. 
I love my, I love being a pastor because um, it's, it's what God's called me to do and it's amazing. The only thing that I don't like about ministry is people. That's the only thing. <laughs> Other than that, it's great. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword because the, last night or a couple nights ago, there was somebody who was frustrating me. And you guys know, I'm, I'm honest with you. I want you to know that I'm authentic, I'm genuine. There was somebody that was frustrating me, and I can share this with you because I know that there's people who frustrate you. Can I get a witness? Yeah. All right. So there's somebody, and I was saying to Grace, I was like, oh, man, this person is so frustrating. I'm so tired of dealing with them. I'm over it. I'm done. I'm done with them. That's what I said. And she's listening. She's in the kitchen. And, and, and I said, I'm serious. I'm done. And she's taking something over to the pantry, and she's putting it up in the pantry. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. I'm serious. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, this is the final straw. And I started saying all this list of things. And she's like, Tim, I know you. I've been married to you for a long time. All that person would have to do is say, hey, can I talk to you? And you'd give them the whole day, you know, because that's how God made you, and that's a good thing. And I'm like, this is different. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. People are difficult sometimes, and there's a problem with people. The problem is that we're in this imperfect world, and we have to deal with imperfect circumstances. And, and I'm going to look at, we're going to look at this morning, six different examples of different kinds of people in our text. So if you're taking notes, you have a calendar in your seat back, and on the flip side of the calendar, you can see all our events on the front, but on the back side is a space for you to take notes. If you're a note taker, which is fine, you can jot these six things down. And then once we get to the fifth point, we're going to break that point into four points. I know it's getting crazy. Usually it's two or three points. That's why I pointed out the card for you. But our six examples this morning of different kinds of people are as follows. So number one, there's the oppressed. Number two, there's the driven. Number three, there's the indulgent. Number four, there's the loner. Number five, there's the friendly. And number six, there's the popular. So again, as I mentioned, number five, we're going to have four subpoints, which we'll get to when we get there in just a minute. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we have the gift of life today, that we opened our eyes this morning, that we drew breath, that we have a relationship with you and that you've created us, God, to have a relationship with you and to have good, healthy relationship with others, with those around us. And Lord, that's what we want to cultivate here this morning, today. We want to cultivate a good relationship with you. We want to hear your word, what you have to speak to us. We want to cultivate good relationship with you and hear what you have to say. Thank you, God, for that time of melodic worship that we can offer you the fruit of our lips as a congregation. We thank you, God, for 
this time of the study of your word. And we want it to be our perspective. We want to be that it's a form also of worship, that we're submitting ourselves to you, that we're listening to you, and that we in turn would, would be doers of your word and not hearers only. And we thank you, Father, for your provision in our lives, for our ability to, to bring to you our tithes and offerings. And that wouldn't be something that's a necessity, something that's a have to, a checklist item, but, but it's that it's a form of worship, God. We want to lay it down before your feet and, and speak the words. You alone are worthy. You are good. And we want not to just give you of our finances, but all of our life, all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. Bless your word, we pray, Father, because it's blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of today's message is The Problem with People. Each uh, study that we do as we go through each chapter, we have, uh, this is unique to this study. If you guys know, have studied with us through different books before, there's different themes and there's different approaches that we have for each one. But this book in particular, something that, that I started doing and I, and I really like is that we have a focus word for each study. And can anybody remember what the word was, the word of the day, so to speak, for week number one? What was the word? Purpose. Somebody said purpose. Good job. Number two, what was the second week? Contentment. Number three, what was the third last week's? Time. That's a little fresher, huh? I can't remember three weeks ago either. I have to look at my sheet. Just kidding. I didn't have to, but. Number four, today's word, if you're jotting it down so you can meditate on it and roll it over in your mind this week, it fits in with the study, what we're going to be looking at. The word for today, does anybody know? No, you don't because I haven't told you yet. Companionship. Companionship. Now, it fits well because if you look at those six things that we, we looked at, um, all of those have to do with companionship to one degree or another. And when we talk about companionship, it, it, it's a real issue that we face in life today. I was talking to two different brothers recently. One brother goes from relationship to relationship, frustrated and, and sad, because really all he's truly looking for, and when we talked, we talked about this, what he's looking for is companionship. He needs some kind of companionship. And I can identify with that. I remember back in the days when, when I yearned for, looked for, desired companionship. God created us for him to be with him, but also to be with each other, to have companionship. So I get it. I talked to another brother who is in a similar situation. He is... Uh, Single and has been celibate and abstained from anything that guys do that they shouldn't be doing. He's, he's abstained and he, he calls himself celibate for the last four years. And he's seeking God and he's waiting for that person that God has for him. And he said, I have a question for you. And I said, what? And he said, how do I know if the season that I'm in today, right now, how do I know if I'm uh, fully in God's will for my life? And that's a good question, especially as a single person. I don't want to focus in on anybody too much, but that was my question. 
as a single person? How do I know that I'm doing God's will? And is that connected with if God's pleased with me, which is connected to if he's going to bring my spouse soon? And, and this is what I said to him, and it kind of came to me quickly. And there's some people who are going to take issue with this. I'm fine with that. We can talk after. I don't mind. And if you're on the interwebs, just shoot me a, you know, shoot me a DM. You know what that is. Because you're on the internet. God's sovereignty in my life today, God's sovereignty, I said to him, in your life today, God is as sovereign as you allow him to be today. And what do I mean by that? Wait a minute. If God's sovereign, he's sovereign. Yeah, but last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? And what did that verse say? That verse said, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love the language of the Bible, the phraseology of the Bible. When you're walking on a path, there, there may be opportunity. I went on a hike with my kids yesterday. There may be opportunity as you're hiking where the path splits and you don't know which way is the right way unless there's a sign there. You know the right way. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is the right way. And, and we took this path and we ended up doing a big loop and then we got back to the same place we started without going backwards and grace is like oh look at that right back where we started for some people that's a good thing for some people that's a bad thing but you could be walking and i believe we we submit ourselves to whether we are walking in god's will on a daily basis or we're not we're walking in our own will and you're not really submitted to those good things that God has for you today. So you can be confident in the fact that if you're submitting yourself to God, back to companionship, if you're, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. If, you, if, that's, what, if that's where you're looking at, if that's where you're going for companionship, then you're going to receive it. And let me tell you this morning that that is what God's intention is for you. It's to have companionship with him. And once you find satisfaction in companionship with him, then he allows other relationships in your life for you to have other kinds of companions as well. But this is kind of opposite from what the world teaches us from the moment that we draw our first breath, isn't it? And this isn't just a cultural thing in America. This is around the whole world. Since you could draw breath, the whole world seems to tell itself that you were made to be in some kind of relationship with somebody. With all the questions now about gender and all that baloney, it doesn't even matter if it's who it is, but you were just, you were made and how you identify, you were made to be in a relationship. And if you're single or if you're content with not being in a relationship, there's something wrong with you. That's what the world says. Why do you think they say sex sells? Because it's being with somebody. It's being together. That is a lie from the enemy. God's desire for you is to have companionship with him. And when we can have companionship with him, then our life is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is present and we're able to have relationships with other people and each other. It's the way he made us. It's good. God's desire is our companionship with him before we seek it through another. Verse 1, chapter 4 Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed. 
number one of the six we're going to be looking at, number one people group that we're going to be focusing on, the oppressed. Those people who are mistreated. What does the Psalm, or what does Solomon say? He says, look at the tears of the oppressed. They have no comforter on the side of their oppressors. There's power. Their oppressors have power. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing we can do to help them. And you look and you, you, nowadays it's crazy with the news and the internet. You can see the injustice and the crazy things that are happening all over the world. And it's almost like, you know, he's, he's, he's throwing his hands up in the air and he's like, man, you know, it, look at the power of the oppressor. There's nothing I can do. It's crazy. But you know what I believe? The oppressed, what they need more than anything else, the oppressed need companionship. They feel alone in the oppression. They feel like nobody's on their side. I was talking to a good friend of mine, the couple that opened the orphanage that, that we uh, partner with in Ethiopia. We send teams over there once a year to go serve and bless and do a VBS for the kids. Really amazing opportunity, amazing ministry. And I was talking to them and we got real and we got, you know, we got real and we got vulnerable. And I, I don't know if, I don't know if it, it's the best to share this, but, but being real, being honest, you know, we were talking about their needs and how they were needing to raise money for some certain things to address the needs of the orphans. And there was a comment made about how like, yes, we know that the Lord's going to take care of us because at the end of the day, it's not really too difficult to raise support for orphans. Now, don't take that the wrong way. It's just like, hey, here's a little kid. He's crying. You know, he needs, he needs new shoes or whatever. And, and the, the heartstrings can be played and, and you send over 10 bucks. But do you know what's more valuable to that child than your $10 for a new pair of sneakers? For you to walk up to them and give them a bear hug. You know the kind of hugs little kids like? Kids like little hugs where you squeeze them so tight that their little eyeballs pop out. Because it's not just a little pat on the head, you know. Oh, hey, Junior, nice to see you, whatever. No, they, they want to know that you care. You squeeze them. You shake them a little bit. That's how my kids know I love them. Back and forth, not, you know, the other way. You know what I'm saying. Man, you know what that means to them? They have somebody. They've got companionship. They have somebody that cares for them. And, and Solomon, in his earthly understanding, earthly mentality, he says, there's nothing we can do. But again, we see this phrase, under the sun, and it, it is only limiting us to a non-eternal perspective. Remember, that's what we talked about a couple, for a couple weeks now in a row. It's a non-eternal perspective. It's a this, here, and now. So yes, it may cost you a little more, but for the benefit of a multitude of orphans, instead of sending a pair of shoes, you can buy a plane ticket and you can go hug all of them. And you could rack up more points, if that's what it's about, in their minds through companionship than any number of pairs of shoes in the world. These kids are precious, man. You see them again? 
Well, I, I, the second time I went, they were like, oh, you're back again. That's so cool. There's this little girl. She, I, was, I gave her a hug, and, and she wouldn't let go of me. And I'm hugging her, and she wouldn't let go. And then she starts petting my arm. She started petting my arm. And she looked up to me, and she said, how did you grow a beard on your arm? <laughs> Skills that pay the bills, girl. Skills that pays the bills. We can respond to the oppressed. We can have the right perspective. I, th- I believe that it is, it is attached to uh, companionship. It's attached to compassion. It's attached to relationship. It's attached to friendship. Instead of just throwing money at it, we have to be a culture that understands that it's about togetherness instead of just trying to get through life and pay the bills. These next two verses are the darkest verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some people would say the bottom. He's gotten to the bottom of the barrel. Let's look at it. Verse 2. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done There it is again, our repetitious phrase, if you're taking notes or underlining in your Bible, undone under the sun. This realm of being, reality, it's better that people not only uh, never were, were, the dead are dead, but, you know, better for those who never even existed, Interesting, therefore I praise the dead who are already dead. There's the way that he says this in Hebrew, it's almost like he, he's saying those who are dead, who are already dead, but there's some who are alive that are, are walking around like they're dead. They've given up, they've cashed out, they're done. More than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who has Never existed. There's another place in the Bible where somebody says it's better for somebody to have never existed. Do you guys remember? Does anything come to mind? Jesus said it. And Joe. But Jesus said it about Judas. He said it's better that this person was never alive than to hand over the Son of Man. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Sometimes you, you and I both agree, you just got to turn off the TV. You got to turn the news off. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to see it. I don't want to think about it. It's just devastating. It's terrible. And this is his point at the lowest point. But it goes up from here. So number one, the oppressed. I believe our response to oppression is companionship. We can identify with those and care for those who are oppressed, even if it seems hopeless for those because of those who rule over them. Number two, if you're following along in our six, number two is the driven. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. For all the toil and every skillful work, you are climbing the corporate ladder and you get to the top and all you have to show for it besides a status and a position is that everybody else hates you because either you got there and they didn't or you stepped on them on the way up. 
the driven. And it's not to say that that's bad, but he's saying under the sun is vanity grasping for the wind, if that is your end game. The next person, verse 5, is the indulgent. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. The indulgent man, he looks at the successful man and he looks at the skill that was involved and the toil was involved and he says, you know what? It's not worth it. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to indulge in the flesh. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to fold my hands. I'm going to watch the football game. I'm going to drink the 24 pack. I'm going to smoke the joint. I'm going to go to that website. I'm going to engage in that relationship. Whatever the flesh says he wants, he does or she but this also speaks to a lack of the companionship that this person has and indulging in the flesh is only going to come to ruin it's a vanity this verse 6 better a handful with quietness and both hands full, speaks uh, to our message a couple weeks ago of contentment. It's better to have one handful than try to juggle and, and manage having two hands full and overflowing and you can't deal with it. Just be content with what you have. Don't, don't strive to, to kill people to be successful. Don't, don't give up and do nothing and just indulge the flesh. And then we look at number four in verse seven. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. This is, this is sad. And it is one of the verses that highlight our verse. So if you are circle or a circler or an underliner or a note taker, there is one uh, under the sun who is alone. Without a companion. He has neither son nor brother. So not only does he not have a companion that speaks to relationship or friendship, not only is he alone in that sense, but he also doesn't have any family. Completely alone. No son, no brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Lonely. You ever heard heard that term? Yeah, you did. It's lonely at the top. And you get all the success that you wanted and, and you're at the pinnacle of your life and you look around and you find out that you've either alienated everybody you know getting there or nobody can relate to you or whatever the case may be. You've been there before? Because I haven't. (laughs) Never been to the top. I'm at the top now, I guess. I'm at the top, baby. The loner, he has all this stuff, all this success, and what does he have to show for it? He's never even asked himself the question, Who am I going to share this with? Who am I going to give this to? It's sad and unfortunate. So so far we have uh, the oppressed, right? We have the driven. We have the indulgent. Usually is extremes, isn't it? And we have the loner. 
And then next, we're going to look at the friendly. And I want you to take note or, or pay attention and see how all of these do have a common thread. Oppressed is those people who are ruled over. Driven and indulgent, clearly there's a connection of opposites. Loner and friendly, clearly are two extremes and there's a connection there. So looking at verse 9, we're going to break this into four points. It's the highlight of the chapter and the highlight of what he's trying to communicate to us. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion... But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And the threefold cord is not quickly broken. Number one, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. What does that speak to? Our point number one for number five. Our point number one for number five. What does that speak of? Productivity. It's better for two people to work together because they get more done. And that's a good thing, getting things done, right? I like to think of this practically. I need to clean the garage. Grace is a good cleaner. I don't like cleaning the garage alone. So I will have her alone. I don't like cleaning the garage. Selah. Alone, because two are better for the productivity. It'll take me less time. We'll get to spend it together. We'll get to hang out. Yes, it's more beneficial for you to do something with somebody else because more will be able to get done. So number one is productivity. Number two, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion But woe to him who is alone when he falls. What's the benefit of having a friend, a companion? Number two is help. You have somebody to help you, to be there with you. Hey, maybe maybe they fall and you can help them up. Next time, maybe you fall and they help you up. This This is the idea of companionship. This is the example of companionship. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? What does this speak of? Two people? Comfort. The idea is, if you're cold, to be warmer, especially when you're in bed. Nobody nobody loves better than on a chilly night being warm. I I wasn't going to share this story at all. Um... And I didn't in the first service, but then I shared it with somebody who was talking to me in a, after the first service. And they're like, you should share that. So I'm going to tell you. And if, don't get offended. So a couple nights ago, it was pretty cold. And Grace is a snuggler. She chases me around bed, snuggling with me. And I'm like, no. And a couple nights ago, it was, it was chilly. And, you know, she's snuggling me to the point where, like, I'm laying on my side. Here's the edge of the bed. And I'm, like, falling, trying to stay off. And she's still chasing me. And I had, to, I had to wake her up. And I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. Can you move over? Like, I'm so hot. And you just keep snuggling me. So the application was made real in my life at that moment. It's good to be together. You can be in the same bed, but sometimes it's nice to have a little space so that you can cool down, 
especially if you live in Las Vegas and you don't like being hot. Anyway, you can do with that what you would like. Comfort, though, which goes to many different applications, doesn't it? It just doesn't come to the physical. Comfort can be in companionship on, on a very different level. And you get that from somebody else. You know, 1 Corinthians says, comfort others with the comfort that you received from the Holy Spirit. And that comes through companionship, relationship. <clears throat> and though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Number four is security. It's better. It's not so much or necessarily just the herd mentality, but it's, it's togetherness. It's being together and being able to have security in that, which is a good thing. And then look what he goes on to and says. He says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jewish rabbis and the people who study scribes that look at the Old Testament, they would they would say that, and I would agree with, that he goes from two, he's talking about two, 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 and then the last sentence of this friendship section, this companionship, he goes to three, and he says the third part of the cord is God. And any kind of relationship or companionship that you have, it's the two of you, you're strong, but you're never as strong as having that third cord in, and the three-branded cord is, is, is the strongest when, when both of those other two are connected to God, their relationship with God. And I would have to agree 100%. In any kind of relationship and companionship that you have with somebody else, the strongest element of that is if you are both submitted to who God is, which brings us back to our original point. The companionship that God wants you to have with him is first fulfilled in him and then can be a binding factor for another person in your life, which is the healthiest, best, securest thing that can happen. And then I started thinking about when I read that verse, I started thinking about friendship, connection to God, companionship, connection to others. And I started thinking about how, you know, there's a verse that talks about um, how Jesus is the friend of sinners. You guys know where that verse is? Matthew chapter 11. If you'd like to, you can turn there. If you don't want to, that's okay. We'll throw it up on the screen for you, but you should turn there. Just kidding. You don't have to. Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I liken this generation? Is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, You guys cannot be pleased. John came to you abstaining from everything, having the most holy, righteous, upright lives, life that you couldn't even you attain to, and, and you, you say that he's demon-possessed. And the Son of Man comes, and he comes eating and drinking. Hey, fatty, go on a diet. Why don't you go on the desert and fast 40 days or something, you know? 
Getting a little chunky there, Jesus of Nazareth, you glutton. Which I don't think is true, but you know the implications of calling somebody a glutton, which means that they eat too much or they eat whatever they want. Two, a wine bibber. Oh, he's a drink. That guy, look out for that guy, Jesus, man. Whew. I was at a party the other night. He turned four big old stone things into, from water into wine. We played the flute for you and you would not dance. Hey, you guys want to dance? I'll play you a song. No, we didn't want to dance. Oh, are you sad? We'll mourn with you if you're sad. Well, no, we're not going to mourn. They didn't desire or want any kind of companionship or friendship with God. They identified Jesus as somebody who was a friend of sinners. And you know, I still love to meditate on that truth sometimes, don't you? Jesus, the friend of sinners. This, this song, this old song, some of you may know it. I, I uh, jotted it down for you because it's one of my favorites of the old songs. What a friend we have in Jesus. You guys ever heard that song before? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grieves to bear. I was going to sing it, but I, I decided to let you go, you know, let you off easy, not hurt you this morning. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit of what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? If we have, don't be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. What's the focal point of the song? You guys, what's the focal point? Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is a connection with, it's a relationship, it's companionship, it's an exchange that God wants you to have with him. Because Jesus is your friend, yes, sinners. He's my friend too. Sorry, baby. Jesus is our friend. He wants us to have that kind of companionship with him. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. What a friend we have in Jesus. I used to have a friend who uh, we would talk theology. It's like the only thing we would talk about. We'd hang out, and then we'd just talk about theology and doctrine and stuff. And, and one day, uh, I was like, hey, uh, let's talk about how the Bible says that we are friends with God. It's an interesting concept, so let's break it down and look at verses. You know, Abraham was called a friend of God, you know, and, and there's other places. The one we just said, Jesus was the friend of sinners. And, and what does that mean? Like, when, when I get to hang out with Jesus, what kind of things am I going to want to do with Jesus? Imagine texting Jesus, yo, what's up? What are you doing? Nothing, what are you doing? Well, let's hang out. What do you want to do? What would you go do and hang out with Jesus? My buddy said, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is I'm going to walk up, you know, and I'm going to give Jesus this hardcore dead leg. Boom! For some of you, that may be too much. But for a guy, a dead leg is like the ultimate compliment of brohood. It's like, I'm willing to cause you pain and place myself in a vulnerable position that while you're hurting now, I don't know the next time I'm going to have to receive it in the future. And because we have that kind of relationship, it's okay. 
So yes, maybe it sounds a little weird. Yes, you're still trying to mull it over to make it make sense. But from his perspective, that was the level of connectivity that he had with Jesus Christ. Now for me, I wouldn't dead leg Jesus, even though I feel very close to him. I'm not sure, you know, if he still feels that way. That was years ago. But, but the point is the, the, the intimacy and relationship that God wants to have with us. So check this out. These two Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door yesterday. And if you guys know me, you know, when the J-dubs are coming or the Mormons are coming, I get excited. You know, like, I'm like, man, I'm busy, but I got an hour. It's cool. You know, I'm not going to let them go. And, and they have their paperwork and their pamphlets to give to me. And I have two pamphlets that I print out and keep in my back pocket to give to them. So it's hard, kind of hard to tell who they are at first, but they're coming up. You know who they are. You know, you know that it's one of them. And I'm getting my pamphlet ready to give to them. And as soon as, or a little bit later in the conversation, as they pull it out to give it to me, I say, thank you. I'll take that. Will you take mine? And they're like, uh, 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 no. Well, I took yours. It's only fair if I took yours and you have to take mine, but let's chat anyway. So they come up and we start talking. And, and this is the thing with apologetics and, and um, cults and, and opposite viewpoints. I, I've learned I can be pretty ferocious. I can be pretty, you know, one of my favorite verses when I was a younger believer was um, do not have uh, fear without, no, uh, zeal without knowledge. You know, I don't want to be just zealous, just to be zealous for zealous sake. I can do that. I can just be zealous for zealous sake because I like to be zealous about something. But don't, don't be ignorant. I don't have zeal without knowledge. So I've, I've kind of grown, which is good. And um, I approach them very, very gently and in love. I'm like, oh, I would love to talk to you. I was just hoping somebody would stop by my house so I could talk to them. So we start to have this conversation, and it goes well over an hour, and, and I'm talking to the lady, and ask her questions. She even had her, a Bible on an iPad showing me verses. I'd show her verses. And she's being a little bit more, you know, amicable than people in the past. She presents a truth that's a false truth. I present the real truth. And we go back and forth and for a long time. And she, you can kind of see the look in her eye. We're kind of at an impasse and, and, and she's seen the direction that I go. We're clearly not on the same page. And she sees the direction that I've gone and how I've supported it in the scripture. And then all of a sudden she takes a, a hard left and she's like, well, you know what? Um, one of the problems, and she gets a little firm and raises her voice. She says, one of the problems is that you don't reverence the name of God. I was like, excuse me? She's like, you know how many times the name of God is in the Bible? And I said, fun fact of the day, I don't know that one. Please, I would love to know. She said, over 7,000 times the name of God is in the Bible. And your translation has taken it out. Which translation do you use? I said, well, I use a lot of different translations, but I really like to reference the Hebrew and Greek too. So technically, I'm looking at what it says in the original language. And she's like, oh. And I said, so what name are you talking about? Are you talking about the Tetragrammaton, four-letter four name of God? She said, yeah, you guys take it out. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not positive about your argument with that, but I'd like to say that, that uh, the Tetragrammaton is definitely 
clearly still in the Bible. And she, yeah, but there's parts that you take it out. And you can't truly worship God without using his name. You guys change it, not from, from his name, you change it into titles. And I said, well, my kids call me dad, and I like that. And I'm okay with that because that is who I am. I'm their dad. I'm their father. So are you saying that I can't call God my father? And she said, no, that's not what I'm saying. I said, are you saying that I can't be saved and have a right relationship with God unless I call him by the tetragrammaton? And she said, well, he would, he would appreciate it. He, he prefers that. And I'm saying, but, but are you saying that, that I can't have a relationship with him unless I do? She said, well, he, he, he would approve. He would, he would prefer it. And I said, I really wish you'd just answer my question, you know, because we're talking about eternity here. And she says, well, you know, you guys, you, you disrespect the name of God. And I'm like, but wait, now that I think of it, now that we're having this conversation, you don't call God by his name either, though, do you? And she said, what are you talking about? Yeah, I do. I said, the Tetragrammaton is not God's name. It's how they broke up God's name because the whole name of God is too holy to say. Even writing the Tetragrammaton, the scribes, they would go take a bath every time they had to say the Tetragrammaton, which is not really the true name of God, what God's name is. It said, yeah, but it's the most commonly accepted form of God's name. Okay, so now we're moving on to I don't use God's name to you use the more commonly accepted form of God's name which, by the way, is not God's name, just so we're clear on that. So I have to use God's name, but you don't, because we don't know what it is. So is this where we're, is this where we're settling? Oh, by the way, by the way, listen to this one. Jesus, to his disciples, says, uh, hey, this is how you guys should pray. You guys know this one? Our Father. Our who? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? What does Jesus tell us we should do in praying to God? Our Father. I said, question, if, do you know the Greek word for Father? Is that the tetragrammaton that he used? Or, or even Jehovah or a variation of, of, of the name? What does that word Father actually mean? She said, Father. I said, it means Father. And, and I have now received the Holy Spirit, by which I cry out, Abba, Father. Now, to tie this in all to, to, to what we're looking at this morning, God wants us to have companionship and relationship to him on the same level of intimacy as if we were part of his family. To where we can say, Father God, Daddy, the person who gave me life. That is the level of companionship that God wants to have for us. And maybe you understand that, but for me, as I consider it and as I think about it, 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 it still blows my mind. And the truth gets deeper. And the more intimately I press into God, the more intimately he reveals himself to me. And maybe someday it'll get to the point where I'd be comfortable with giving him a dead leg. It's just not that day today. Hopefully, you know, confidently I know that it will get better and better. But what are the four benefits of companionship Solomon lists in that section as we move on to the last? Productivity, help, comfort, and security. 
All of those things I had to varying degrees as a non-believer. Not very much, very little, but varying. But as a believer, each one of those things, companionship with God, right relationship with God, those four things went through the roof. Productivity? Yeah. I was doing a lot more unto the Lord because it was unto the Lord than I'd ever done before. Help? I had an ever-present help in time of need in situations that I did not have help before when I fell. Comfort? Oh boy. The Holy Spirit? Are you kidding me? The comforter? Security? I'm not talking about job security or eternal security. That was just a, for fun. But security in all situations in danger. These four things have profoundly accelerated in my life when Jesus became my companion, when Jesus became my friend, when I was restored to right relationship with God. Not to be confused with relationship, no, relationship, companionship, friendship. Not to be confused with popularity, which is our number six point, if you're still following with me and taking notes. Number six is popularity. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king. What is a king? A king is the greatest position. It's the number one. It's the best. I'm the king of Instagram. I get the most likes and loves and shares and thumbs up and then anybody in the world. than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. What's somebody that can't be admonished anymore? Somebody that doesn't interact well in relationships. <laughs> they know it all. They've got it together. And even though they may be at the top over everybody, they don't have an ear to hear what anybody has to say. They can't be corrected. They can't be admonished or even encouraged. And then number two, for he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born in his kingdom. Most uh, commentators believe that this is talking of a second king, somebody who starts at the bottom, solo starting, that he's just getting out of jail, but then he's elevated to king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. There's under the sun again. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. Here's a guy who came out, got out of jail. He was the least in the kingdom. He was catapulted through social media success. I don't know. It's applicable these days, you know. He, he's super popular. He made it. I mean, it doesn't mean that he has any friends. Just because you're a friend on Facebook with somebody doesn't mean that they're really your friend. I really like um, meeting somebody for the first time. In fact, it happened at night at Hope. There was a guy I met. I'm like, hey, how you doing? My name's Tim. And, and, and he's like, hey, my name's, I probably shouldn't say his name. He's like, hey, it's good to meet you. Hey, we're friends on Facebook. I'm like, no way. <laughs> We've never met before. I'm like, can we be friends in real life? That's the thing I say to everybody. Every time I meet somebody from Facebook that I've never met before, I say, can we be friends in real life? For real though, not virtual friends. And they're like, yeah, we can. I'm like, okay, cool. Because I like to be friends in real life, not just fake friends. You could be at the, at the top. Does, that, just because, does popularity equal companionship? Does it equal friendship? 
Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a grasping for the wind. There's a deficiency in relationship. There's a deficiency in companionship. And what God wants us to understand today is that his desire for us is reconciliation to him. His desire for us is companionship with him. And when we have the companionship with him that he's so desired since the foundations of the earth were laid, when we have companionship with him, then we can have true friends, right companionship with others that are around us. It's healthy. Grace referenced the men's Bible study on Monday nights. Man, those brothers are solid. I, I look forward to seeing those guys every Monday night. They are true brothers. And we can open up and share. And there's a, there's a, we have a little saying, what happens in the men's study stays in the men's study, right? So although I do tell Grace that we have a good time, I don't give her any details that are not juicy enough to give her. So be sure of that. I'm joking. I don't tell her. So where is it for you? Look at, let's look at those six again. Just throw them all up there, Grant. The six points in closing. Oppressed, driven, indulgent, loner, friendly, popular. How does it apply? What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to take it? What are you going to do this week? Can you settle on the friendly? Can you look at those four subpoints and look at the benefit to right relationship and companionship with God and how it's going to affect your life and spread into other relationships that you have? That's where we should settle. And that's where we're going to end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. And thank you, God, that, that you are our friend. Thank you, God, that you're our friend. Thank you that, that you want us to feel like we can have the freedom coming to you that, that a son or a daughter can have in going to their father. Whatever earthly relationships that have messed that up, help it not to bleed over into a divine relationship with you that we do have free access to. God, thank you. Each one of us, I'm sure, Lord, has their own application for today's word. But help us to really grab hold of your heart's desire of us to have companionship with you and to remember that a three-braided cord is not quickly broken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.